Morning, my name's Sam. If you don't know me, I'm one of the elders here in the church. You know what's truly great about Sunday mornings at church? It's where you are the most open. Where people get to see you as you truly are with nothing hidden. All of these perfectly calm and reasonable parents of small children are just as calm and reasonable at home through the week. Uh, there's, no, there's no difference. All of these really smiling and polite teenagers that hang out here at the church and say hello to you when you meet them, they're just like that with their parents at home through the week as well. No difference. Sadly, it's not true, is it? The goal for all of us, though, is to continually be shrinking the gap between our display of holiness and our genuine holiness that we have at all times. The goal is that that gap is getting smaller all the time. So this hidden character, this hidden person, which isn't always so nice, which isn't always so polite, is actually the shrinking nature and we're growing in holiness. It's a genuine and real change of who we are. Ah, well, in order for that to take place, in order for it to be an actual reality, we must accept a starting and profound truth that greatly impacts the reality of whether or not we are going to be genuinely growing in holiness. And that is this. You, if you are a Christian, are in a war a spiritual war for your soul. The most guaranteed way to lose the war, the most definite and quick way to defeat, is to not join the battle. The reality is, if you are a Christian, you are in the war, and you are either fighting to win... Or, if you are not accepting you're in the war, I can guarantee you, you are on the back foot on your way to a loss. There's no option. You are in the war. You have to decide whether or not you're fighting the battle or whether you're sliding out of it. Peter last week said, we've been called out of the darkness and into the light. The question that sits before us this week is, how do we stay in the light and what do we do in the light? So we've been called out of the darkness into the light. How do we stay in the light and what are we trying to achieve whilst we're in the light? That's what we're looking at together this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're just looking at two verses this morning, 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. One Peter two eleven and twelve. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. Amen. 
Dear friends, writing to the church, I urge you as aliens, as strangers and exiles. Now, Peter's already talked about that earlier, and we've talked about that together. Why are we exiles? Why are we aliens in the land? And it's straightforward, isn't it? It's because we have a different king. Our allegiance is not to this world. Our allegiance, your allegiance, is not to a national boundary. It's not to your race. It's not to your family, but it's to King Jesus. Right? That is where your allegiance lies. That is why we are different from anyone else in the world. This world and its structures are not your home. This world and its structures are under the control of the evil one. So if we live in allegiance to the world, we'll be living in allegiance to the opposite of our king. Think about it practically. If I was to move to North Korea tomorrow and began to live in North Korea in the exact same way I live here in Australia, there's going to be a conflict really quickly, isn't there? Why? Different king, different rules, different expectations, different cultures, different rules that you must obey or face the consequences. You see, it is the same for every Christian. No matter where you live in the world, your allegiance is to your King Jesus primary, full stop. This is why it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Note the two absolutes, all and will. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Think about what we're told to do in the Scriptures. Love those who persecute you and pray for them. Forgive people as Christ has forgiven you. Obey the ruling authorities. Like, don't you sound like a perfect citizen? I'm sorry, government, the Scripture tells me that I should obey you and love people. Isn't that true? Isn't that what the Scripture says? Then why are Christians the most persecuted people on the planet? Which is a fact. Right? The most persecuted people on the planet are Christians. Why? Because we have a different king. And we will follow him ultimately, no matter what rules, no matter what boundaries, the moment they clash with Christ's authority, we will always put Christ first. This is what it means to be a Christian. Yes, absolutely, to be a Christian, you must accept that Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty of our sin, bearing the wrath of the Father against sin, so that by grace, by our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's opened the way to the Father. Absolutely. But tied into that, which you cannot avoid, is this fundamental truth. Being a Christian means accepting Jesus as Lord. Jesus as King over your life. That you have died to the world and its desires, but you haven't died to the world and its desires, and now you're your own King. You've died to the world and its desires to come into the Kingdom of Christ. 
where he rules, where he has authority. There is no salvation without the Lordship of Christ. And that's what brings you into the war. Because he's king, because he has rules, because he has boundaries, because he has expectations, because he is first no matter what, it will invariably at time bring you into conflict. And that is because this world is under Satan's rule. And with us under Christ's rule, we will clash and we will be persecuted. So this is why Peter says we're aliens, exiles, strangers. It's the reality of who you are as a Christian. If you are never in conflict with the world and its desires, it's because you're following the world and its desires, not Jesus. Right? If you are never in conflict with the world and its desires, then you're following it and not Jesus. So as aliens, as exiles, says Peter, abstain, stay away from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. So the fact that you don't live according to this world, you live according to Christ, stay away from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. It's really important. As followers of King Jesus, this world is going to keep throwing up sins against, against you, and you must wage war against them. All right? It's a battle. Firstly, as a Christian, this verse tells us something amazing. You will always continue to have worldly desires. That's what Peter is saying. They're always going to be there. And you have to actively fight against them. This verse tells you, you are never going to reach a state of your Christian walk where the world's desires no longer mean anything to you. I'm sorry, money, sex, power, popularity, comfort, security in the world are always going to wage war against your soul. Always. I remember as a new Christian, I was about 19 or 20 years of age, and I was talking to this Christian man who was impossibly old. He was about 60. And, um, and I was about 19 or 20, right? And he was my mentor. And I sat down with him one day and I said, Alan, how old is it when the lust of the eyes stops? How old is it when that just kind of dies because your body's too decrepit, you know, like, 40, something like that maybe. And I, I genuinely, at 19 or 20 years of age, was kind of like, surely that just stops, right? I'm just going to be an old man and I'm just not going to struggle with that anymore. And he's like, Sam, very patient. I'm in my 60s. I still fight the fight. I was devastated. <laughs> genuinely was devastated. I'm like, what? You mean the war keeps going? And he's like, yeah. Yes, it does. You have to keep fighting the battle against the flesh till the day you die and you see Christ face to face and in an instant are made like him. But until that day, you are in the war and you are fighting the fight. That's the second thing this verse reminds us of. 
We have to own and accept completely that you are in the war. You are an active participant in it. And you are either a good soldier of Jesus Christ fighting the war or you are slowly giving up ground to the enemy. But you cannot be neutral. You are either pressing forward for Christ or you are giving up ground to the enemy, but you cannot be neutral. Let me explain. When you become a Christian, you are set free from sin and death. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have the Spirit of God who enables you to live for, to actively pursue and honor and glorify Christ. However, really own this, know this, your default nature remains the flesh. When you stop actively fighting the war, the flesh automatically begins to win. Let me just repeat that. When you stop actively fighting the war, the flesh automatically begins to win. I don't know too many Christians who wake up some mornings and over their coffee kind of go, you know what, today's a flesh day. I'm just not going to honor Jesus today. I'm just going to give in to those worldly desires. It's just that kind of morning. No, no one does that. You just have to actively stop pursuing Christ. And that's what begins to happen, true? Surely we've got some lawn people in the church. Anyone here like a lawn person? You have a manicured lawn. Anyone here is really proud of their lawn? Thank you for some people being honest. Others are getting nudged and not putting their hands up. Look, I know some of you are obsessed about your lawn. It's okay. This is a safe space. No one's going to hurt you for it, right? You've just got a perfect lawn. It's manicured. There were no bindies. It's soft, amazing grass that looks like someone should just be laying on it with a cup of tea or something, right? You've just got this perfect lawn. And, and the thing about that is this. If you just leave it for a few months, it will stay like that, won't it? No, of course it doesn't. You leave it for a few months and what happens? A few seeds from a few bindies and weeds blow on and they begin to shoot. And if you don't take them out, they begin to spread. Suddenly the grass is a foot high or if it's, you know, February in Bundaberg, it's four meters high. Like, it just happens really, really fast. And suddenly you can't see the curb anymore because the grass is all overgrown the curb and, and it's growing up around the mailbox and the whole of world is chaos, right? Because if you aren't actively fighting it, you don't have to do anything, it just begins to fall apart. You get the point. This is us in our battle against the desires of the flesh. You see, the weeds and thorns that take over your lawn are part of the curse, are they not? That's what Christ said. You are cursed. The, the ground's no longer going to yield its harvest. You're going to fight to try and maintain order. Chaos will want to take over with part of the curse. And the way sin works in your life is this. If you're not actively fighting for order, for discipline, fighting against sin, then disorder, chaos, the effect of sin is going to take over your life. 
And not only that, if you're the person on the street who doesn't look after their lawn, guess what? It blows the weeds and seeds onto their neighbor's lawn. And the same's with you. Don't think this happens in isolation. If you're in the church and you're letting sin conquer, if you're not fighting the fight, then you are impacting those around you. Right? Sin will spread. So this is what Peter wants us to grasp. He's saying you are in the war. A battle for your soul. Now, soul here doesn't mean your eternal life. That's not how he's using it. What he's saying is there's a battle going on for you, for your whole life, not to do with your eternity, but for what's happening with you and your life for Jesus. In other words, if you're not fighting the fight, then your whole life will begin to fall apart. That's what he's saying, right? Sin will take hold and it will begin to make your life fall apart. It's amazing if you do some studies on, on some of the things that happen in the world against the way Christ says. So there's a proven study now that the more sexual encounters you have before marriage, the more likely you are to divorce. Straight up. More sexual encounters you have before marriage, the more likely you are to divorce. Right? So the study's been done. Google it. Not making it up. Right? So we give ourselves over to lust and it doesn't produce good fruit. It brings chaos. Or we might be desperately after the pursuit of money, right? So we're desperately playing the lotto. And yet, all of the studies show us that the people who win lotto are more likely to end up in bankruptcy and have higher rates of suicide. Seriously, study it. The implications of winning the lotto are not good. They don't have good results, right? Because we give ourselves over to the fleshly desires and its fruit is chaos. Its fruit is not good. And Peter is saying, you must fight those desires. Put them to death. Be in the war for Christ. Now, there's a way we can do that. There's a way that we can kind of fight the fight in a healthy way. There's a way that we can kind of really discipline ourselves, positive and negative. And that's what Peter's going to move on to here, right? These ways that we can fight this good fight. Firstly, we are to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles here means non-Christians, those who are not the people of God. So Peter says, fight the war, fight the war, and conduct yourselves well. Do good things. Conduct yourselves well among the Gentiles. This verse could just as easily read, abstain from sinful desires, by keeping your conduct honourable among the Gentiles. In other words, make it a focus to live a God-honouring life amongst the ungodly. Living a good, proactive life amongst the ungodly. Not needing to, you know, write tracks defending our way of life, but living a good and honourable life amongst those who don't know Christ. What does that mean practically? What is Peter saying? It means... Make wise decisions about how to live an honourable life amongst those who are following the ways of the world. In other words, make good decisions. Part of that could be, if you struggle with drunkenness, don't hang out at a pub. If you struggle with power, don't become a CEO. 
If you struggle with gossip, don't become a hairdresser, right? There, there are all of these... Come on, they're, they're, they're nodding at me, the hairdressers, surely. Um, right? No, seriously, but make wise decisions so that you aren't losing the war. Why would you put yourself in a losing position? So that's what Peter, make wise decisions so that you live honorably among the Gentiles. Conduct yourselves with honor means living in obedience to the word of God. Making tough choices so that you can live honorably. It might mean quitting a sport that interferes with being able to gather on a Sunday. It might mean saying no to a promotion because it will take you away from the time spent serving and honoring God. Right? Live life knowing that as an exile, as an alien and a stranger, you are not the world's poster child, you are a reject from the world, and your goal is eternity with Christ and not the things of the earth. Make decisions that live that out. Make decisions that will please Christ on the day of judgment, that will make him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Make choices that are heading towards that goal is how we live honorably. I remember talking to a young man at church. This is not this church, but I was talking to this young man and it was after a service and we're having a cup of coffee. And he sat there and in a few minutes he outlined for me his perfectly detailed, laid out plan so that by the time he was 25, he was going to be on a $500,000 a year salary. And he had it mapped out, all the study he was going to have to do, the pathways he was going to have to take. And he just sat there and he was so excited and he was mapping it all out for me. And I waited and at the very end I said, and all that's for the glory of God, right? And he kind of spluttered and went, oh, oh yeah, of course. The question is, it hadn't entered his mind. The challenge to you is it entered yours. Are you making choices for the glory of Christ? That's a simple question, but one we have to work into the reality of our daily life. Am I making choices for the glory of Christ, knowing that my eternal reward is my goal and not the things of this earth? Note that our verse said that, so when they slander you as evildoers, Again, not if or maybe, but when they slander you as evildoers. Why are non-Christians definitely going to slander us as evildoers? And we talked about this at the start. Because we will not follow or honour the gods of this world. We follow and honour Christ. Now, some of you didn't grow up in the church, just like myself. I was converted as an adult. And so I distinctly remember slandering and mocking Christians with friends, right? So some of you would remember that, surely. Maybe I'm on my own. Anyway, I remember distinctly doing that with friends, you know. They're all suckers. Christianity's nothing but a crutch. They can't survive without their fairy tale faith. They all give their money to charlatans. They've all been fooled. No sex before marriage, idiots, it's try before you buy. Um, all of that stuff used to go on and on and on, right, amongst me and my friends. Why? 
as I said, because the Christians aren't living by the gods of the flesh. And if you are, it's very hard to understand someone who isn't. Money's good. Makes no sense if somebody says money shouldn't be our goal. Sex is good. Makes no sense if somebody says sex shouldn't be the goal, right? If you are following the gods of the world, then a Christian who is following Christ makes no sense. And you will slander them, right? They will talk behind your back. They will make up stories. The second thing is, when you live in the light, people in darkness don't appreciate it. You don't even need to say anything, but the fact that the way you live makes them question how they live will not be appreciated by some people, right? If you live in the light, then some in the darkness will not appreciate that just your very existence calls theirs into question because you're telling them there's another way to live which isn't giving in to the temptations and desires of the world. Not everybody wants to hear it. But now we get to the positive impact of all of this. Now we get to Peter's great positive point. When people slander us, when they can't accept our way of life, what are we meant to do? And Peter says, they will observe your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now Peter is almost certainly referring here to Matthew 5.16. Jesus speaking the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And this is interesting. Our passage at the same time is saying, because you won't give in to the desires of the world, because you conduct yourselves honorably, the world will slander you. And because you conduct yourself with that same honorable fashion, some people will be saved. Sounds a little contradictory, doesn't it? Right? What is our passage saying? It's about consistency. It's not about being hypocritical. It's not about being passionate for Christ at one moment and not the next moment. It's about consistently living out a genuine Christian faith, denying the desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul, actively honoring Christ in the choices that you make, and all of that resulting in you living out good works prepared in advance for you to do. And as we do that consistently, as we continue to honor Christ day by day by day, despite the slander, despite the ridicule, then our lives begin to have an impact. Not with everyone, but some will see your good deeds. Some will note the consistency of character and want to know why. And we have a chance for the gospel as we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, this can happen in many ways. I became a Christian when I was a wharfie. And if you want to know a rough place to work, the wharves is it, right? So dockers unloading and loading ships. We had over 100 men only on the wharves, so you can imagine what that was like. Uh, it was a pretty wild joint to work. And I became a Christian while I was a wharfie. And so it was a big, interesting shift for me, right? So suddenly I just copped criticism and flack from 
everywhere. You couldn't believe it. Suddenly I was gay because I was saying I shouldn't be sleeping around or anything like that. So that makes you gay. And then and suddenly, you, you know, you're a hypocrite. And suddenly you're all of these things. So it all just comes at you, right? Because fundamentally you begin to live differently. And so I got all the slander. I copped all the criticism that you can possibly cop. And then a couple of years after I came to faith, one of the guys I actually started with on the same day, he got crushed under a four-ton timber pack. It was touch and go if he was going to live. So we had the medics and everyone on the wharves trying to treat him in the hold of a ship. And people were coming to me from everywhere saying, Sam, can you pray? Sam, can you talk to God? Right? There was this incredible opportunity for the gospel. Just because if you hang on and you keep honoring Christ through all the slander and all the trial, people will come to you in a point of crisis and say, what you've got we need. This relationship with God that we've been attacking for the last couple of years, now it means something. Right? Hang on. Do good. Honor Christ. Wait for the opportunity to point people at Jesus. The gospel says we should take every op- the Bible says we should take every opportunity to share the good news. And in consistency of character, in consistency of living out the goodness of Christ, look for opportunities to tell people of Jesus. In short, in closing, church, take seriously the fact that you are in a war. And fight against the sinful temptations and desires of the world. But you are not just playing defense. Get on the front foot and drive towards good works. The outworking of your inward transformation. And the word says that on that day of judgment... Some will glorify Christ. Some will acknowledge Him. Some will be saved because they saw your good works and they came to you and said, what is it? And you said, it's Jesus. Right? So defend yourself against the desires of the world. Get on the front foot, living out your faith, proclaiming the good news. That's how Peter says we will run this race. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we actively take on this fight. Lord, until the day we die and see you face to face, we are going to battle against the desires of the flesh. Lord, we pray that we would take this battle seriously. We would read the word, we would pray, we would get brothers and sisters in Christ to be accountable with, we would actively fight against the desires of the flesh. Lord, we would be wise in the choices we make, we would not put ourselves in those harmful situations, Lord. May we be serious in our battle for godliness. Lord, at the same time, may we take that transformation that the Spirit's working and may it work out into good works. May we be trustworthy, reliable, honest, hard-working people. 
Lord, may the lives we live both annoy people because we won't bow to the gods of this world and yet also be appealing. May the consistency of our goodness lead people to ask why. May we always point people at Christ. Lord, we just commit ourselves to you in your precious name. Amen.